everyone, this is Owen. We are taking a break from new episodes until July, but in the meantime, we are re-releasing some of our most popular episodes. So here's our conversation with MacArthur Fellow Ai-Jen Poo on what a basic income would mean for domestic workers. Hello and welcome to the Basic Income Podcast. I'm Owen Poindexter. And I'm Jim Pugh. And our guest this week is Ai-Jen Poo. She's the Executive Director of the National Domestic Workers Alliance, recipient of the MacArthur Genius Grant, and Co-Director of Carrying Across Generations. Welcome, Ai-Jen. Thank you. Great to be with you. So why don't you start by telling us about the National Domestic Workers Alliance and the work you do there? Sure. My work is alongside the millions of workers, mostly women, who go to work every day in our homes and they care for some of the most important parts of our lives, our kids, our aging loved ones, and our homes. And they make it possible for millions of us to go to work every day knowing that our families are in good hands. And our work is really about making sure that this work is valued, respected, and protected. And for the millions of workers who do this work, um, to be able to, to know that these jobs are good jobs with family-sustaining incomes and jobs that you can really take pride in and support your family on and one generation can do the next, do better than the next. Now, one of the things that started happening about five years ago was we started realizing that this workforce is growing at an incredibly rapid pace. And that has to do with some pretty major trends in our demographics and in families and in our workforce. And to be, you know, to be clear about what those are, it's you know essentially the baby boom generation, which is this massive generation, culture driving generation, is aging rapidly uh, at a rate of four million people per year turning seventy, and also living longer than ever before because of advances in healthcare and technology, and then the millennial generation, which is the largest generation in history and most diverse, by the way is also starting to have families of their own turning 35 and having 4 million babies per year. So we suddenly need more care than ever before and therefore a stronger caregiving workforce. And my work has been, especially now that we've launched this Caring Across Generations effort, it's about creating the kind of solutions that allow for families to afford and have access to good care while making sure that the workforce that does the care um, has the respect and the kinds of quality jobs they deserve. Can you tell us a bit about what are some of the biggest challenges that are facing domestic workers today? Sure. You know, we still in the 21st century have a hard time really um, treating this work as real work. It's oftentimes referred to as help or companionship. And what that results in is a sort of way in which this work is in the sh- remains in the shadows. And um, despite it being a real profession for millions of people, it's treated as less than real work. And that limits our ability to get access to the kinds of training and benefits and security that we deserve. And it certainly is reflected in the wages. And a lot of people don't realize this, but for example, for the home care workforce, which cares for the elderly and people with disabilities, the annual median income for a home care worker is $13,000 per year. 
that is so far from a family sustaining wage. And so if you think about these millions of workers who are working incredibly hard, doing incredibly important work, and earning poverty wages, I mean, that's the lot for so much of our workforce. And can you tell us a little bit about some of the campaigns that you've been fighting in order to to really secure more rights and more more economic justice for people in this space? Sure. Starting back in 2003 uh, in New York, I started working on trying to res- to create basic protections for this workforce in our nation's labor laws. A lot of people don't know this history, but in the 1930s when we passed the labor laws that are were a part of the New Deal, which are kind of the cornerstone protections that we all take for granted when we go to work, Southern members of Congress refused to support those labor laws getting enacted if they included domestic workers and farm workers, which is a part of a very dark history of racial exclusion in this country. And to this day, many of those exclusions remain. And so in in the early 2000s, we set out to try to transform those exclusions and put real protections into place state by state. We had our first big victory in New York, where we passed the first Domestic Worker Bill of Rights in 2010. And now seven states have passed legislation. But I will say that just having minimum standards on the books is far from enough to make these jobs good jobs. And that's why we launched Caring Across Generations five years ago to bring together all of the family caregivers, our seniors who need support in order to live independently, people with disabilities together with the workforce to say, we need a whole new investment in caregiving in this country that allows for people to actually afford care because it's quite expensive and that allows for these jobs to be really good jobs. And so right now we're fighting for what we call universal family care in the state of Maine and Michigan, which is essentially the idea that every single working family should have access to um, economic support to afford child care, elder care, and paid family leave. And that would enable them to go to work and fully participate in the workforce and reach their full potential without having to choose this horrible false choice between work and family. And in the 21st century, it just feels like we really need that. So in Maine and Michigan, we've got these really exciting campaigns for universal family care. So perhaps along those lines, you signed the belief statement for the Economic Security Project, saying that we should explore basic income to guarantee economic security for all people. What motivated that decision? Well, I'm really passionate about the idea that most of the social contract that we have in place and the policies and systems that support our democracy and our economy to work properly are policies that were born of a very different age, a time when our economies were locally based, regionally based, and nationally based, whereas now it's a globalized economy, a time when manufacturing was the base of this economy, and now it's very much a service-driven economy. So much has changed about the way that we live and work in this country, and I think we need a new framework for, and we need to rethink kind of our social contract at its core to be reflective of the realities 
facing working families today in this country, and and I believe it entails a new set of universalisms, right? That um, things, social insurance programs like unemployment, for example, were created at a time when people had stable long-term employment and intermittent periods of unemployment, right? And that's the whole framework was set up to support that need of intermittent unemployment. Today, in more and more places, what we're seeing is periods of long-term unemployment and intermittent and temporary employment. So we need a different safety net and a different uh, framework for thinking about meeting those needs in the economy. And for us, we're obsessed with caregiving because we're just seeing how we'll never get to gender equality in the workforce and we'll never get to a place where workers, men and women, can really realize their potential in our economy if they're constantly being forced to make impossible choices around caring for the people they love and going to work. And so we think that's a really big piece of the puzzle too. And universal basic income, universal family care, like a new framework for workers to have a voice, these are all pillars that need to be redesigned. And on that note, can you tell us a bit more about what impact you think a universal basic income might have on the domestic worker space? I think, um, you know, part of it, it's similar to family care, whereas we live in such insecure economic times in, in that more and more workers are dealing with jobs that are temporary, part-time, independent contracted. So there's much less of the kind of stable long-term employment, as I mentioned. And what that means is that you're really living paycheck to paycheck and really struggling. You're sort of on the brink. And anything could go wrong. A car accident, um, uh, a stroke in the family, um, any number of things could go wrong and create a kind of crisis that makes it impossible for you to then restabilize. That you'll, it can trigger a spiraling of economic insecurity and into poverty that's incredibly difficult to get out of. And what something like family care support or a basic income can do is make what should just be a temporary moment of need, a temporary, keep it a temporary moment of need as opposed to a long-term crisis. So you mentioned before that the population of people in need of domestic workers is, is rapidly increasing. Do you see other changes in the domestic worker space um, just, you know, these last few years and going forward into the future? There are so many changes. I mean, already the Bureau of Labor Statistics says that home care aids, um, home, home care workers are the fastest growing occupation in our entire economy. And the estimates are that by the year 2030, if you take all of the workers who are providing childcare in different settings and all of the workers who are providing elder care and support for people with disabilities in different settings, that that combined will be the single largest occupation in our entire economy. So we're talking about the care economy far from being marginal and in the shadows, it's actually going to be defining of our entire economy. And so we all have a stake. I mean, 
beyond the fact that we all have families and we all want to work, we all have a stake in this work becoming dignified, life-sustaining work because it sets such a huge tone for the rest of our workforce. And I'm of the belief that, you know, in the 20s and 30s, manufacturing jobs were dangerous, low-paid, precarious jobs. And we collectively as a country transformed those jobs into good jobs with a pathway to real economic security and stability. And our task of the 21st century is to look at the low-wage service jobs like care jobs and actually do the same and make the same transformation happen. And we've done it before. We can do it again. So Ajahn, you mentioned that universal basic income would serve as one pillar in a larger new social contract that we could be moving towards. Can you tell us a little bit more about what else would be part of that contract and also how you're thinking strategically about moving towards it? Absolutely. Um, So I think uh, that universal basic income universal family care, this idea that every single working family would have some economic support to afford child care, elder care, and paid leave when they need it to care for their families. And portable benefits are three ideas that really deserve some oxygen and some real resources behind pilots and um, and demonstration projects. I think they're very bold. they're at the level of ambition that I think is is appropriate. Um, we've got some major challenges in this country with unprecedented levels of inequality, and I think we need bold solutions. I also think a really important piece of this is going to be worker voice. We have a situation in our economy where 75% of the workforce earns less than $50,000 per year. And meanwhile, there's so much wealth being generated. And we have to figure out how workers have more of a voice and can share, where more workers can share in the prosperity that we're collectively generating as a nation. And that has to do with voice has to do with having new forms of organization like ours, the National Domestic Workers Alliance. Um, There's lots of groups out there that are experimenting with different kinds of organizational forms to give voice to working people. I'm wondering, as the domestic worker population increases and um, as there's more urgency around these issues, if you're finding that they get more attention or if that's not happening yet? Great question. I think to some extent it is happening partly because our movement is growing and partly because more and more families are really struggling with the need for care, whether it's childcare or elder care. So more people are kind of feeling the burn and the need in a way that feels right there at the surface. And I also think that the fact that more women are in positions of leadership in the private sector and in government can give voice to the challenges of doing work and having ambition and having responsibility and wanting to contribute in the workforce and then not having the support we need at home for our families, that that's becoming more and more a part of the conversation. We saw that during the election cycle in 2016. I think we're going to continue to see that. And so those were all the questions that we had, but anything else you'd like to add? I will say that one of the things that 
uh, is really important to me is in this period of a lot of political polarization um, and change that we preserve the space for big, bold ideas like the universal basic income and universal family care and portable benefits. I mean, these are all ideas that need oxygen and resources to become real, and we need to take them to their next level, right? We don't have everything figured out, but we need to start building from the ground up, uh, which is why we're really excited to be championing these campaigns in Maine and Michigan, and folks are doing amazing work on the ground, building constituencies behind these ideas, and why I'm excited to be a part of the Economic Security Project. Great. Well, thank you so much for chatting with us. Thank you. That was Ai-Jen Poo, Executive Director of the National Domestic Workers Alliance, recipient of the MacArthur Genius Grant and co-director of Carrying Across Generations on the Basic Income Podcast. Also, thank you to our producer, Eric Davidson, and uh, see you next week. Mm-hmm.